Good morning, everyone, and welcome to week three readings. So for this week's reading, we've kind of come to a point in the history of forensic psychology that you would almost call a, a coming of age or, or almost an end of an era. Um, I want you to think back along the kind of the ways that we've been talking about what forensic psychology does uh, and how we've kind of articulated this idea of kind of of maybe unsystematic wild west um but but very much kind of uh you know forensic psychologists are doing their very best but kind of with no real evaluation or kind of assessment of itself and then when we have had those evaluations you know there are those who disagree with it the reading from week one, and then those who kind of say, you know, there is potential here if we conceptualize things correctly or we approach behavior correctly, and that's more your your Jessica Woodhams. Now, those are just two papers, but what they show is is almost the tip of the iceberg of a kind of a of a of a flurry of information. An activity that's been going on now since the late 1990s, right? So, you know, we've, we've seen the Resler and Douglas citations. You've seen the Mindhunter, right? So this idea of, of this is now 20 or so years of people trying forensic psychology or being forensic psychologists or giving advice kind of ad hoc to police forces. And there's been no systematic grouping or reflection. And it's it's it. It very much is where this paper comes from, because what Lawrence was doing with this paper, and, and one thing I want to make a quick aside of, you'll, you'll note a lot of the work that um, we've been citing throughout has been Lawrence Allison's work, and, and side note, that's not going to change. Um, but one of the things that is going on here is that in the late, to early to late 90s there's a effort to formalize this practice of offender profiling and it's led basically and it's something I, I talk about in the lectures but it's led by david Cantor and lawrence allison now this is very much a a british centric um kind of perception on things and I, i'll acknowledge that bias right away but it is lawrence and david who ran the kind of the movement to evaluate systematically change i was trying to think of systematize i don't think that's a word systematically change and kind of you know professionalize this idea of psychologists working with the police and then the reason for that as you'll see in a few weeks is there's some some grave issues going on and some grave mistakes that were made to be honest uh, by early uk based profilers so this is a very uk centric uh, approach but but i would say that it does reflect what you see um, in the USA um, and their approach to things and I think that's realistically kind of because of a, a kind of a sharing now there are some nuances between the UK and the US approach driven heavily by the US investment in contractors and kind of external expertise and kind of some of the the government consultancy constructs going around there but the, but this is very much the UK's story but it, it, it speaks to a much broader issue and so what this paper does is it basically says right and it says it on the very last page you know let's draw a line under what has gone before us and let's now look forward to what we can do so that's that's literally the pitch of this work is kind of a a, a where have we come from and and kind of a, a where can we then go comma brackets cotton eye joe um 
jokes will be sporadically included. Um, but that's kind of what, what this is all about. So it starts off in a place that I don't think you'll be too unfamiliar with. And basically it's kind of the the outlines of the, the different ways to conceptualise um, offender profiling. And and, and while we, we've gone over these in class uh, in week two, I should have provided a lecture for you that kind of talks about these issues. What's really interesting about this one is that, the, that a lot of this paper cites something called the BIA, which is the Behavioral Investigative Analysis Unit, uh, which is set up um, within the uh, UK police as a way of um, providing psychological advice. Now, this BIA in the UK very much matches your BAU in the USA in that they are almost police officers um, first uh, leveraging or, or providing their expertise. And that's something that you see kind of, if you look at this um, first chapter, the first paragraph here, this idea of the uh, the, the BIA um, a building up tacit knowledge. And so what you're seeing from that, and it's interesting, is that they... They're trying very much to leverage experience while also infusing an evidence base with it. And that, I think, is kind of a, at best, a rebuke of the clinical practitioner approach, where they're really trying to move away from that kind of deep dive into a single case, you know, a single person, etc., and towards this model that, best as it can, blends the experience of someone doing something many, many times um, with kind of an evidential or statistical backing um, to kind of help them make those decisions. Um, so kind of the early the early kind of parts of this are really just kind of outlining these different uh, ways in which they've kind of worked through. And I think one of the issues they have with the statistical approach is 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 mainly just the difficulty on relying on something that is exclusively based on data now in, in the modern world we have this kind of we almost have this over reliance on data think about the social social media analytics amazon analytics all of the behemoth corporation analytics you know now we just have data 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 and, and it's almost a how do we conceptualize or analyze something so vast in this area, it's less about there's too much data and more often it's about not quite having enough or enough nuance or enough detail. And that's why, personally, I think it's kind of driving some of the low levels of data reported in the kind of the, um, the Toolman works that we, we went through in week two. It's just a lack of data. So the BIA, Behavioral Investigative Advisors, kind of really try and leverage that mix of the data that they have with a a degree of tacit and expert knowledge. Um, now, now, what's really interesting as we kind of work through this paper is it talks about kind of the you can't escape basically the 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 boogeyman, if you will, of offender profiling. Uh, you know, you know who done it. You know, good sir. Um, and 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 so what Lawrence is trying to talk about here is he's basically trying to reconceptualize the idea of offender profiling to one of basically subject prioritization. And there's a few nuances in the in the language of this paper that are quite interesting. There's, there's one in a moment on risk assessment. But what Lawrence is, is trying to do is to reframe how the goal or role of the psychologist is 
conceptualized in the investigative process and he's almost flipping it on its head i think in the in the original concept it's the 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 crime occurs the profile is developed and an ensuing list of subject suspects is is put forth what lawrence talking about in subject prioritization is to put the role of the psychologist at the end of that process, which I think is, is, is a truer representation. But the idea that the crime occurs, a list of subjects is generated, and what the police then require is an idea of prioritisation. And this is something that, in forensic psychology at least, we now find ourselves talking about a lot. You know, the, the, the biggest issue in, in policing is often the allocation of finite resources in the right place. Now, that's something from week one you'll hopefully remember um, with our example of the, the Kent Internet Risk Assessment Tool, right? That that was not about profiling or, or, or spotting our, uh, our high-risk uh, offenders. It was about making sure that the police only had enough resources to investigate three people, and how do we make sure that those three are the highest risk three people there. Lawrence is talking about the same thing here. He's talking about this idea of the goal of the psychologist is to help the investigative team prioritise amongst the subjects that they've identified. And you can already see that that's a, a broader um, kind of construct or question to what you may you know, typically see um, in your kind of your your TV shows or your or your Hollywood dramatizations. Sorry, the dog just fell through the door. Um, so then he moves on to and, and he talks about it here. Um, uh, he talks about it in this section of linking crimes to crime scenes and also the last paragraph on page one hundred and twelve. But basically, the idea of and it's not something that we've really touched on or you've seen so much yet. But this kind of idea of situational factors and one of the the big things that drives this was kind of David Cantor's early work where he kind of looked at um, basically a lot of geographical profiling. In fact, a, a friend of mine, Ian Elliott, went to a lecture of David Cantor's and said, uh, I said, oh, what do you learn? And he said he'd summed up all of David Cantor's research as the offender usually lives within three miles of the crime but also may not, uh, which I just think it makes me laugh every time. Um, but what they're talking about is that you kind of, is a lot of the work was looking at crime scene to residence behaviours. So how far does the average uh, sex offender travel to commit a crime? How far does the average robber commit a crime? And the criminologist should reflect that idea as kind of routine activity theory. But basically, broad, being able to help officers exclude people basically based on a kind of a probability of the likelihood that they've um that they've been involved and so what lawrence kind of gets to here and he, I, in my opinion i don't think he adequately sums up the future of 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 investigative advice and profiling and i just think that's very very hard but what he's basically trying to say is that our role is softer and it's more about helping the officers allocate their resources to the people already identified that are, have the highest likelihood of being involved based on either location or a broad assessment of kind of uh, indicative personality traits. So he then moves on to kind of 
and this is again what this paper is trying to do is it is it's kind of saying what can we do right we, we know what we've done but what can we do and where and so Lawrence then moves on to kind of investigative interviewing and and realistically that makes sense I mean you'll see actually the next weeks weeks four and five are another um, Lawrence uh, Allison heavy weeks and that's because no surprise, Lawrence Allison's other area of work is investigative interviewing, and we'll 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 go through that together because um, a lot of that's been um, quite uh, widely adopted uh, in the uh, interrogation realm. Um, but what he's basically saying here is that the the other area that forensic psychologists can assist with is the um, the creation of interview strategies and interview techniques. So we can help with memory recall. We can help with. Uh, crafting interview strategies for vulnerable interviewees or child interviewees, but we can assist in the way that officers think about the interview. Now, it, it's an important point to make because one of the things that we see in real life, early, early forensic psychology real life, is a conflation of expertise, i.e. just because someone is, quote unquote, a good profiler, means that they will, quote unquote, know how to interview the person. I think one of the strategic moves Lawrence is making here is trying to separate that, that these are two separate areas of expertise that may be driven by two separate types of science or two, two separate groups of psychologists. So you can already see he's trying to kind of stovepipe our, our kind of our field into different groups or themes to stop this idea that a forensic psychologist can assist on blank insert broad investigative activity so what he's arguing for here is basically there's you know there's a, there's a long uh, a long existence science on interviews a lot of experience on interviews with with clinicians and that that can be used to assist this police structure of getting the most information from a witness or potentially building rapport uh, with a suspect and again that's one of our areas and then he moves on to this idea of kind of the risk assessment idea which is really the the inverse of profiling, if you remember our first lecture with, with Blower's kind of 1994, you know, profiling is the activity of detecting crimes, uh, detecting personality characteristics based on crimes. In the risk assessment um, idea, what Lawrence is talking about is our ability to identify potential uh, vulnerabilities and people who, you know, could be vulnerable to engaging in behaviours in the future. Uh, it's kind of the first and, and main like pre-arrest bit. Now, this actually, if I were to, if you reflect on the field now and you do, uh, you know, profiling and risk assessment have become conflated. And the reason is a lot of people say profile when they when they mean risk assessment. And so the clinical psychologist among us says it's a risk assessment and. Um, and the world around us says it's a profile. And what you see is when people ask for a profile of someone who hasn't done a crime yet, they mean risk assessment. Um, they're very similar because in theory, the variables that increase your risk are likely to be variables associated with your eventual offender. But they're, they're very, very distinct forms of science. I mean, the, the study of risk assessment is, if any of you have taken any courses kind of on the crime and mental health side, you know, there's huge debates there about how we structure risk assessments, actuarial, structure, uh, structure professional judgment, etc. So there's a lot of different, again, what Lawrence is doing is he's trying to stovepipe, again, to create the idea that there are a specific amount of expertise who can assist with 
pre-arrest questions around who's vulnerable, who's most likely to engage in this, etc. Um, although I, I think in the in the nine or so years since this has been written, the risk assessment field has really come on. But I think that the archaic concept of profiling has now been presented under a new guise, and that guise is is risk assessment because risk is a is a pre-crime activity. Um, in the rest of the article. It's, it's interesting and it's important to read and think about, but really he's just kind of talking about the ethics of and the boundaries of forensic psychologists. So what we, we can and can't do, and he cites here on kind of page 125, you know, this idea that in the UK at least, you know, really not uh, not admissible or usable in court, um, especially not in the kind of the arrest uh, side of things. I mean, so when I do when I do court work now, you know, it, it's more on it's more often on the defence. You know, it's very rarely on um, any kind of, 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 of arrest aspects. You know, that's that's good police work that leads to the identification of a, of a culprit with evidence and investigation. Um, the psychologist often finds ourselves more involved in the kind of the culpability question rather than the how did you identify them question. And again, you'll see all of this kind of manifest itself in the uh, Paul Britton case, which uh, usually in the course I present much earlier, um, but given the new structure, it actually comes uh, just after your midterm. Um, so remember that point. Um, and then finally, he just kind of highlights that this is quite an interesting point, but it, it's very hard to actually establish whether we've achieved whether, whether the BIAs and, and profilers in general are working as intended or providing a a valid and 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 good contribution, and that almost immediately links back to the Brent Snook article of um, kind of you know it's very they're, they're very rarely they're rarely used. People talk about. They, you know, people's perception is based on memory rather than kind of um, rather than kind of a formative analysis of accuracy. Um, so it's just generally quite hard to know whether what they're doing is working. Um, but Lawrence in this kind of area is talking about kind of how we can try and provide some data. So he talks about cognitive task analysis, you know, ways of, of tapping into their expertise to see, you know, to make sure what the BIAs are doing is working. And actually, I mean, the BIAs, um, I didn't set you his article, but there's a, a guy called Lee Rainbow who wrote a, an article called Taming the Beast, who is the Lee, the head of the BIAs in the UK. Um, and so to, to give you an example, when they submit anything that would, you know, be resembled as a, as a profile or a kind of a crime scene analysis, it is, it is scored uh, along with um, Toolman philosophy of argument and then annually uh, random profiles that they've written are compared back to the eventual culprit to assess their accuracy uh, and they are graded as such. So we are seeing moves now um, to kind of double check uh, the the kind of the work of, of investigative advice and kind of um, to uh, to uh, assess its, its its veracity in real time. Um, one of the things that this, this article doesn't mention, though I think is, is interesting, is it, is it talks about BIAs on the assumption that um, you know these these individuals are interior to the police and work alongside them. So your BIAs and your your FBI's BAU. One of the more interesting developments is is kind of the outside psychologist providing uh, external guidance or training, and then that is where I think the ethics section that is mentioned on page 126 is really important because that doesn't really have 
the same degree of control and in which we're, we're kind of charged with our own ethical um, kind of moral boundaries to guide us. So it says, here, you know, in those emerging areas in which generally recognised standards of preparatory training do not yet exist, that would include here, psychologists nevertheless should take responsible steps to ensure the competence of their work and protect their client, patients, students, supervisees, research participants, organisational clients and others from harm. It's this kind of, you know... Um, Hippocratic oath idea of psychology basically, you know, in new and novel areas, be as ethical as you can and just do no harm. Um, one of the things we'll see next week is a relatively stark test of that concept. So, I really hope you enjoy this paper. I mean, I, I wanted to leave you with something I think that, that maybe tied a nicer bow around the area, but the truth is that there is no bow around forensic psychology there is no perfect uh this is a good start um i mean it's, it, it's probably out of date now i should ask lawrence to write another one um but he he's trying here to separate out the tasks we do and separate out the expertise and talk about the boundaries and, and kind of goals of each of them and to temper some of those expectations which is which is really really important and i i think that that achieved to a degree um very effectively uh but as we go forward you know new challenges emerge ourselves for example this this article doesn't mention defense and now uh as i'm sure many of you can imagine you know the the forensic psychologists with the kind of the you know post 9-11 defense funding terrorist mind kind of interest you know psychologists work now is not just for the police but it, it falls under the cia dhs you know all of these different areas the army like for myself um all of these different areas which you know each have uh, a range of challenges and questions so this is a kind of a reflective piece that i i think lawrence uh wrote very well to try and draw a line under what we'd done kind of from the 1990s onwards and, and look forward and actually, I hope that really fits with the rest of the course now, where we're going to kind of move forward now and look at, you know, some of the areas that forensic psychology is now uh, dabbling in. And in some cases, we'll see that maybe we haven't, you know, moved too far beyond our origins. And in other places, you'll see we've made some um, some very good, systematic, safe and, and beneficial contributions. So I'm excited to, to kind of move us through now into the, the modern day uh, of the of the field. Thank you.